Exodus chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Um, We'll read that another time. That was our text last week. We'll read that again today. And then I'll teach on verses 4 through 10 in this lesson. Exodus chapter 11, verses 4, or excuse me, verses 1 through 10 is our text to read today. Yahweh's scriptures say, say, Yahweh said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you out of here. Now announce to the people that both men and women should ask their neighbors for silver and gold jewelry. Yahweh gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And the man Moses was highly regarded, feared, or very great in the land of Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and the people. So Moses said, this is what Yahweh says, About midnight I will go throughout Egypt, and every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, to the firstborn of the servant girl who is behind the millstones, as well as every firstborn of the livestock. Then there will be a great cry of anguish through all the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. But against all the Israelites, whether man or beast, not even a dog will snarl, so that you may know that Yahweh makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come down to me and bow before me, saying, Leave you and all the people who follow you. After that I will leave. And he left Pharaoh's presence in fierce anger. And Yahweh bless his word to our hearts today. So I made it through verse 3 last week. So we're just going to jump right into this today, beginning at verse 4. Got a lot to cover in these verses. We'll continue our study through Exodus 11 and 12. Verse 4 again says, So Moses said, This is what Yahweh says about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Okay, I want you to remember that this is still at the end of the ninth plague. Moses is still standing in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh has said, I don't want to see your face anymore. Moses said, Don't worry, this will be the last time you see me. Yahweh downloads one more word into Moses' mind, or the Hebrew could be translated, Yahweh had said to Moses at a previous time, Exodus 11.1. 1 through 3 is a parenthesis. I talked about that. And then Moses speaks. And the first thing that Yahweh says through Moses is, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. What midnight? Well, as you'll find, usually when you study the Scriptures you'll find that good scholars and commentators differ on how to understand certain verses. This is a good example here. For instance, Albert Barnes notes on Exodus 11.4, he says that this marks the hour but not the day on which the visitation would take place. There may have been and probably was an interval of some days during which preparations might be made, both for the celebration of the Passover and the departure of the Israelites. So Albert Barnes reads about midnight in Exodus 11 verse 4, and he takes it as a general statement. He sees this as a midnight that would happen maybe in the next few days or maybe in a week or so. Then you have other commentators like John Gill who say this on 11 verse 4. 
Gil says, And this was to be done about midnight, the middle of the night following the present day, which was the 14th of the month of Abib or Nisan. By the way, Abib and Nisan is the same month. Nisan came later. It's what's called the Babylonian name for the month of Abib or Aviv. It's the same month, first month of the year. John Gill goes on to say, It was in the morning of that day Moses had this discourse with Pharaoh, and in the evening of it the Passover was kept. And about the middle of the night the firstborn were slain as follows. So Gill, John Gill, views Moses as standing in front of Pharaoh, speaking this on the morning of the 14th day of the first month of the year. And the morning of the 14th is the morning that we would wake up on that day and the Passover lamb is to be sacrificed. So Gil has Moses telling this to Pharaoh about midnight. Moses is standing in the 14th day of the month of Abib and he's talking about the next midnight that's going to happen. Now this is interesting here because in just reading chapter 11 verse 4, it does imply that the midnight being spoken of is the one that comes next. For Yahweh to say to Pharaoh through Moses, about midnight I will go throughout the land of Egypt. For Yahweh to say that would not make us think that it would just be any random midnight, but rather the midnight that happened next. But here's the issue with this. When you keep reading through Exodus chapter 12, where Yahweh announces the first month of the year, Exodus 12, 1 and 2, and he gives instructions concerning the Passover, one of the instructions that he gives is to select an animal from the flock on the tenth day of the first month. Look at this in Exodus 12, 1-3. Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's households. One animal per household. Now, the tenth day of the month of Abib is four days before the fourteenth. Fourteen minus ten is four. So you have four days before the fourteenth that the tenth takes place. In order for the Israelites at that time to have obeyed this commandment, it seems that Moses' word to Pharaoh from Yahweh in chapter 11 would have to come before the tenth day got here. Now, one option is this. One option is that the command to select the Passover flock animal on the tenth day may not have applied to that very first Passover. It could have applied to all the Passovers that would happen after that. Yet, this doesn't really make sense to me It doesn't make sense that all of the instructions in chapter 12 would apply to the Israelites that lived for that first Passover, except for one instruction, to select the animal of the flock on the tenth day. So here's another option. Another option is this, and I think this is the best way to take this. What if somehow the instructions in regards to the tenth day of the month are listed here in chapter 12, but were given before... Moses' word to Pharaoh in chapter 11. Everything that we read about in Scripture is not always in chronology. It's not always in chronological order happening in an exact sequence of events. Sometimes things that we read about in, let's say, the 10th chapter of a book may have already taken place in a previous chapter of that same book. 
So when Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, chapter 12, verse 1, about the first month of the year, giving the instructions to select the Passover animal on the 10th, Yahweh would have spoken those instructions somewhere before the 10th day of the month. We might say anywhere from Abib 1 to the morning of the 10th. So as to give the Israelites time to obey the command to select the animal of the flock on the 10th day. Yet this particular part of chapter 12 would have been spoken before Moses stood before Pharaoh in chapter 11. It's not in chronological order. I think that's the best way to see this. And I say that because when Yahweh says about midnight in chapter 11 verse 4, I think that that is best viewed as the midnight that comes next. That midnight. I would agree with John Gill. I think Moses was standing before Pharaoh on the morning of the 14th day of Abib. And when he said about midnight, Yahweh's going to pass through the land, I think he meant the very next midnight. Now if we couple this with Exodus 12.29, it says, Now at midnight Yahweh struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt. That's Exodus 12 verse 29. It seems to be in line with it still speaking of that very next midnight that took place after Moses' last discourse face-to-face with Pharaoh. One possible cog in the wheel in this view is Exodus 12, verse 21, where after we read all of the instructions for the Passover in Exodus 12, verses 1 through 20, we get to verse 21 and we read, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go select an animal from the flock according to your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Now that could be read as Moses speaking on the 14th day of Abib. Yet we know the command was to select the animal on the 10th day per Exodus 12, 3-6. But Exodus 12, 29 sounds like he's telling them select the animal on the 14th and slaughter the Passover lamb about midnight, verse 29, if we keep reading. Here is an answer to this so-called cog in the wheel. And it could be that when Moses summoned all the elders of Israel in 12 and 21, and he said, select an animal from the flock and slaughter it, he may not be speaking about selecting the animal from the start on the 10th, but rather going to the pen that you have the animal in and getting it for slaughter on the 14th. That's where I'm at right now. That's kind of how I see that. Now, I know that some of this is going to take a bit to digest. These are teaching messages. And so some of it will take a bit to digest, but it's important that I go over everything that I see as I teach through these chapters. And I promise I'm trying to make it as easy to understand as possible. So at least now you know the various views and the scenarios, and you can spend some time meditating and researching and doing your own study on them. Let's continue in Exodus 11, verses 4 through 5a. So Moses said, This is what Yahweh says about midnight I will go throughout the land of Egypt. And then the beginning of verse 5 says, And every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die. So, it says firstborn male here in the HCSB. That's the primary Bible that I use. If you read this translation, I want you to notice that the word male is in brackets. Anytime when you're reading the HCSB, when you see a word in square brackets, it denotes that there is no Hebrew or Greek word behind that English translation but the translators have added it for what they believe to be clarity. The King James Version does this as well, but it will put the words in italics. Whenever you read the KJV and you see a word in italics, what that means is is that there is no word 
in the Hebrew text or Aramaic text or Greek text from which the translation into English came. But translators have added words to make things easier for you to understand and comprehend. Sometimes added words by translators are good. Sometimes they do help clarify. Sometimes or other times they cloud the meaning of the text. Or they might be a bias of a translator. In this case, the verse just says, every firstborn and stops. There's no Hebrew word for male, M-A-L-E, in the text. However, I believe that the word male in Exodus 11 verse 5 in the HCSB is a legitimate and proper understanding of which firstborns in Egypt would be killed. I do not believe the firstborn daughters, if there were families in Egypt that birthed, a woman birthed a daughter first, that was her first child, I do not believe that those daughters were in danger of Yahweh's destruction on Passover night. It was only the firstborn males. Now, the reason I believe this is due to the context of the entire book of Exodus, specifically Exodus chapter 4 all the way through Exodus chapter 13. Remember back with me to Exodus 4 verse 23 where Yahweh says, Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go. If you refuse, I will kill your firstborn son. Those words are all there taken from the Hebrew. So Yahweh specifically singles out the sons. And why is it, we might think, why is it, and I'll show this further in Exodus 13, but why is it that Yahweh would slay the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt? Could it be that in Exodus 1, we read how that the Egyptians, what would they do when the Hebrew women had a daughter? They would let her live. But when the Hebrew woman had a son, what was the instructions from Pharaoh? Kill the sons. Throw them in the Nile River. So I think that Yahweh was looking at that action by the Egyptians and saying, I'm going to make retribution or I'm going to take out vengeance on that particular action. So further proof of this is Exodus chapter 13, verse 12 and 15. And I'm going to read in the KJV, some more literal translation. Exodus 13, verse 12 says, Thou shalt set apart unto Yahweh all that openeth the matrix... And every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast, the males shall be Yahweh's. Now that word males there is taken directly from the Hebrew. It's there. Just as a side note, I've italicized the word shall be. You see where it says the males shall be Yahweh's? Shall be is in italics in the KJV. Here's an example of the King James Version translators using italics to clarify. Shall be is not from the Hebrew, but they added it in. I don't think it does any damage to the text. It just says the males, Yahweh's, the understanding is the males are to be for Yahweh as a sacrifice to Him. Same thing in Exodus 13 verse 15. It says, And it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go that Yahweh slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to Yahweh all that openeth the matrix being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. In other words, when a Hebrew man had a firstborn son, he wouldn't sacrifice that son to Yahweh. He would redeem him by sacrificing an animal that was legit for sacrifice, a clean animal. So the context from Exodus chapter 4 and chapter 13 and also understanding how Yahweh was taking vengeance against the action of the Egyptians throwing the Hebrew male children into the Nile River letting the female children live 
I believe that Exodus 11 verse 5 does mean that it was the firstborn males that Yahweh was about to slay in Egypt. And this is why the HCSB adds the word male in Exodus 11 verse 5. If you take notes in your Bible, Exodus chapter 34 verse 19. In Exodus 34 verse 19, the King James Version does the exact same thing. And it adds the words, that is male, to the text. Even though the Hebrew text doesn't have those words, that is male. They add it in italics. I think that's the proper understanding. I don't think they did anything wrong by doing that. I think it's an understanding based on the context of the book. Next, we'll go to Exodus 11, 5 through 6. It says, And every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die. And then he describes what that means. Every firstborn male doesn't mean every individual firstborn male. Every refers to all the classes, all the statuses in the land of Egypt. We need to be careful. Sometimes when the Bible uses the word words every or all, it's not talking about all in the sense of all individuals, but all types or kinds or classes of people. Such is the case here. It explains it. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne. That's the high class. That's the top. As a matter of fact, the Egyptians looked to Pharaoh as a god. They believed whoever the Pharaoh was that sat on the throne was the son of Ra, the chief Egyptian deity. And to kill the firstborn son of Pharaoh, which will be the heir, the next Pharaoh, after this Pharaoh died, it will be the heir to the throne. That was like the tantamount worst thing that could ever happen to Pharaoh. Uh, And Yahweh was showing judgment upon the highest position in the land of Egypt that existed. So Pharaoh's not going to be left out. Just because he's the main guy and everybody looks at him as an Elohim, we're still going to slaughter his firstborn son, the next heir to the throne. Then it says, to the firstborn of the servant girl who is behind the millstones. Millstones were used for grinding uh, wheat to make flour. I think there's a text in Matthew 24 that talks about there were two women at the millstones sometimes. One to grind the millstones, as you had the bottom stone and then the top stone, they, gr- they would grind on each other. And then uh, the other lady, she would pour the, the wheat down into a hole right there where it, would go, where it would be ground into flour. And so that's the lowest of the low. That would be the, the slave there in Egypt that was doing that. And even her, if she had a firstborn son, that firstborn was going to die as well. In verse 6 it says, Then there will be a great cry of anguish through all the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. So this plague, this final plague, the tenth plague, would strike the highest in the land, Pharaoh on the throne, to the lowest in the land, the servant girl grinding grain with the millstones. This teaches us something that's taught throughout all of Scripture. And it is this, is that Yahweh is not a respecter of persons when He judges people. He doesn't let the high and the lofty or the rich go free because they're high, lofty, and rich. Nor nor does He take pity on the low or the poor. If the low or the poor are deserving of judgment, Yahweh doesn't take pity on them. He judges. All classes of people may receive His judgment. And then we see even the firstborn of the livestock is mentioned here in Exodus chapter 11. So even the firstborn male from the animals were going to suffer from this plague. This is why the great cry in Egypt would happen like never before or never again. 
Exodus chapter 12, verses 29 through 30 show this. It says, Now at midnight, Yahweh struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt. Remember, every refers to every class of male, every firstborn male, the class or status. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and every firstborn of the livestock. During the night, this will be after midnight, after the plague happened, Pharaoh got up, he along with all his officials and all the Egyptians, and there was a loud wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't a house without someone dead. Now, I believe that that last part there in verse 30 is a figure of speech that's used many times in Scripture called hyperbole. Hyperbole means there is a point that is exaggerated for the sake of emphasis. Um, This right here means there was utter destruction. Um, there would be houses in Egypt without a firstborn son. Okay? And then there were also some Egyptians that during these plagues, they began to fear Yahweh. We read about this in Exodus 3.22 and Exodus 9.20-21. I like the Exodus 9 text because it tells us that when the plague of hail mixed with fire was announced, I believe it was the seventh of the ten plagues, is that many of the Egyptians who feared the word of Yahweh took their animals and put them inside so that the hail plague would not get them. And so what was happening was through these plagues, some of the Egyptians were saying, listen, maybe this man Moses knows what he's talking about and maybe the deity that he serves, the Elohim that he serves, maybe he's the true Elohim. We need to put our cattle up because the hail's coming. Not all of them did this, but some did. So it is also possible too that some Egyptian homes may have put blood on their doorpost and obeyed the commandment. Or they may have at least asked to stay in the homes of the Israelites who obeyed Yahweh's command. And if they did, if they were willing to be obedient, Yahweh accepted them in, the stranger that would join to the nation of Israel. Exodus 11 verse 7, But against all the Israelites, whether man or beast, not even a dog will snarl. So that you may know that Yahweh makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Adam Clark makes a lot of comments on this verse. And I think maybe he oversteps the boundaries a little bit. It could be that Yahweh was executing judgment on Anubis, which was one of the gods of Egypt that took upon the form of a dog. Uh, That could be what's being insinuated here in 11 verse 7. But I think that the point about the snarling dog is in contrast to what's just been said about the loud cry in the land of Egypt. While there would be a great cry such as never before or never will be again in Egypt because those homes lost their firstborn son, not so much as even a dog would be making a noise when it came to the homes of the Israelites in the land of Goshen. Dogs tend to bark when they sense danger. And as no danger would be in the homes of the obedient Israelites that observed the Passover, Not even the dogs would be barking at night. Great cry in the homes that didn't obey. Not even a dog would snarl in the homes that did. Now, this distinction that Yahweh makes between Egypt and Israel needs to be understood. I want you to understand this. It needs to be understood as a distinction between the disobedient and the obedient. We have to remember that if an Egyptian decided to obey Yahweh keep the Passover, and put blood on their doorpost, their firstborn son would be protected. Likewise, 
If an Israelite, for whatever reason, decided that they didn't need to keep the Passover and obey the command, they were not exempt just because they were an Israelite. If they didn't keep the Passover, if they didn't obey Yahweh, their firstborn son would die. The distinction between Egypt and Israel is a general statement. But it is not saying that the Israelites were exempt from punishment if they disobeyed. The distinction in Scripture is always between the disobedient and the obedient. It's between those who have no faith, which makes them disobedient, and and those who have faith, which leads to obedience. That's always the distinction in the Scriptures. Exodus 11, verse 8. All these officials of yours will come down to me and bow before me, saying, Leave you and all the people who follow you. After that I will leave. And he left Pharaoh's presence in fierce anger. That's talking about Moses leaving the presence of Pharaoh. And I believe that's the last time that Moses and Pharaoh met face to face. Later on, after the midnight, Pharaoh summoned Moses. But I think that probably means he sent messengers to tell Moses, Get up, leave, and take your flocks. Remember, at the end of the ninth plague, Moses wanted to take the flocks. And Pharaoh said, You can leave. And the women and the children can leave, but you've got to leave your flocks here, all your animals here. Moses said, well, no, we need to take them because when we get to where we're going, we're not sure exactly how Yahweh's going to tell us He wants to be sacrificed to or wants to be worshipped. At this point, after this plague, Pharaoh summoned Moses, sent those messengers and said, you can leave. Yahweh removed that hardening off of Pharaoh's heart and he did what the natural man would do. Now this happened... In Exodus twelve thirty one through 32 He, speaking of Pharaoh, summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, Get up, leave my people, both you and the Israelites, and go, worship Yahweh as you have asked. Take even your flocks and your herds as you asked, and leave. And this will also be a blessing to me. I want you to notice that nothing is said here about Yahweh hardening Pharaoh's heart after the tenth plague. Do you know why? Because he didn't. He hardened his heart after all those other ones. But after this one, Yahweh released the hardening and he did what a normal person would do. Yahweh was finished with his destruction. He had heaped plague upon plague upon plague in order to make his power known and to make his name renowned throughout the entire inhabited earth at that time. Yahweh was finished with the destruction upon the land And his final blow was the death of every class of firstborn male. No matter if you were Pharaoh, no matter if you were the servant girl that ground the grain, or no matter if you were the prisoner in the dungeon, all the firstborn males that did not have the blood of the lamb on their doorpost and lintel died. Now, some people may refer to the last two verses, Exodus 11, 9-10, by saying, well, let's read it. Exodus 11, 9 through 10, it says, Yahweh said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. But yet Pharaoh did listen to Moses after the 10th plague. So this is a good example of a verse that's not in chronological order. Exodus 11, 9 through 10 is a general statement. It's a general overall statement about what took place from Exodus 4 all the way to Exodus 12 during the plagues. He says, So that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Verse 10, Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. But Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go. So I view Exodus 11, 9-10 as a general statement that overarches the entirety of what happened. This is not a verse saying that Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart after the final plague. 
It is describing Yahweh's wonders and actions that have happened since Exodus chapter 4. So we see that verses are out of chronology there and that helps us to understand more about what I was talking about in regards to selecting the animal of the flock on the tenth day coming before Moses' meeting with Pharaoh. So let me end this sermon today by asking a question that critics of the Bible sometimes pose um, in relation to this plague. And that is, is Yahweh just? Was it okay for Yahweh to do what He did in killing all of those firstborns in the land of Egypt? Whether it was a firstborn little baby that had just been born, or whether it was a firstborn that was my age. I'm a firstborn male. Just because I'm an older adult and I have children and grandchildren doesn't mean that I'm still not a firstborn male or firstborn son of my father. Was Yahweh just in killing all of the firstborns that did not keep the Passover and did not have the blood of the lamb on their doorpost and lintel? Now we know at the beginning of this story that we read of the Egyptians throwing the Hebrew boy babies into the Nile River. Exodus 1 verse 22. And that is condemned. Yahweh condemns that. Is it, or excuse me, it is murder. So is Yahweh just? Is Yahweh righteous for turning around and killing the firstborn males of the Egyptians? As I said, some critics of our faith would bring this up as contradictory. They like to find these so-called contradictions in the Scriptures. I believe that it is only because their hearts are unregenerate. And if you have an unregenerate heart, you can't see what the Scripture says. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually discerned. You must have the Spirit to see that Yahweh here is just. But they don't accept Yahweh. These critics don't accept Yahweh as king, and they don't accept Yahweh as sovereign. I like to say he's never called Yahweh the butler, where we just pull a string, and he comes to our beck and call and says, You rang, how can I help you? Never called Yahweh the butler. He's Yahweh the king. I think a lot of times when people pray, they pray to him as though he is a butler and that he's supposed to do what they say. That's not how we should pray. We should always pray with humility, asking Yahweh, not demanding Yahweh do anything. But when critics of the Bible come to this, they don't accept Yahweh as king. They don't accept Yahweh as sovereign. They don't accept Yahweh as in control. They don't accept Yahweh as having free will, like I talked about last week. So therefore, they don't accept His ways and they don't accept His actions. Well, we must understand here, when we ask this question, is Yahweh just? Was Yahweh just in doing this? We must understand this. None of us in here or out of here, none of us deserve to live. None of us. Whether Egyptian or Israelite. I spoke recently when I was teaching there towards the end of Galatians on the matter of how that we are fallen in Adam. Adam acted in the Garden of Eden as our federal head, according to Romans chapter 5. And so when he fell, he was our representative. Yahweh chose him infallibly. But when he fell, we fell. And not only did we fall, but all of creation fell. Even the ground was cursed when Adam fell. Even female animals Catch this. Female animals have pain when they have bear forth children, when they bear forth young. The animals have pain in childbirth even. All of creation fell 
when Adam and Eve fell. Brothers and sisters, this, the fall in the Garden of Eden, is why all of us sin. I know we look at those cute little babies when they're born and we think everything's right with the world. But every single little baby that is born, no matter how cute he or she is, will grow up and commit transgression of the law. They'll grow up in sin. They're only innocent. The book of Jeremiah calls them innocents. But what that's a reference to is that as a fresh-born baby, they have not personally committed transgression. But it will happen. Rest assured. Why? Because we are fallen human beings. So the real amazement should not be when Yahweh decides to execute judgment. We shouldn't gasp and wonder, oh man, how could Yahweh do that? We should never be amazed when Yahweh executes judgment. We should instead be amazed at His grace and His mercy that He shows on fallen humanity. We should not gasp because Yahweh killed so many firstborns in the land of Egypt. We should gasp at Yahweh not killing all of us. That should make us gasp. Everyone receives mercy from Yahweh every day. Every person alive receives mercy from Yahweh every day. People who do not even recognize Yahweh or even believe Yahweh exists still receive His mercy. Still receive His mercy. I remember when Brother Randy and I worked together for about 15 years, he told me that when Yahweh first called him to the faith, he didn't even know what Genesis 1.1 said. He didn't know what John 3.16 says. He didn't know any of that. But yet it was around the age of 37 years old when Yahweh gave Brother Randy a new heart. But for those first 37 years, when he did not recognize Yahweh in his life, when he did not recognize Yahweh in his actions, Yahweh was merciful every day of those 37 years. This is why, brothers and sisters, that we should never give up on praying for anyone that we want to receive salvation or that we want to be granted a new heart. Yahweh may save somebody, man or woman, at the age of 90. He may, on the other hand, put His Spirit in a child while the child is still inside of Mama. John the Baptist leaped in his mother's womb and was filled with the Spirit before he ever was birthed. That's because he was alive in that womb. As life begins before birth, it begins in the, in the womb. So Yahweh can grant new hearts while a baby is still in the womb. Or Yahweh may grant somebody a new heart when they're 90 years old or 100 years old. That's how merciful of, of, a, of a mighty one we serve. And so Yahweh was merciful to my friend and my brother, Brother Randy, for those 37 years until He granted him a new heart. And everything began to be fixed and mended and something beautiful was made out of his life. We used to sing a song when I was growing up in church that said, Something beautiful, something good, all of my confusions he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful out of my life. Never give up. Always pray, do not faint. Yahweh could have a plan for someone that you don't see. Yahweh is merciful to us every day. He lets people live day after day after day. There are atheists in the world that don't even believe that a Creator exists. 
And they live long and prosperous lives here on earth. And maybe when they die, they don't die of any sickness. They just die of old age. They die of natural causes. You know what that is? That's the mercy of Yahweh. That should amaze us. Not the judgment. The judgment, we should look at it and say, that's normal. That's what should happen. But when we're allowed to live after we've scorned Yahweh so many times and after we've sinned against His law so many times, and yet He still has mercy on us as fallen human beings, that should make us gasp. That should amaze us. Not the judgment. You should be amazed that Yahweh has let you live as long as you have. You don't deserve to be alive today. And neither do I. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve. He has not repaid us according to our offenses, the psalmist writes. If Yahweh was always just, none of us would be alive. We're alive today because He decided, in some cases, not to be just, but instead to be merciful. That amazes me. The mercy of Yahweh. We experience so much mercy from Yahweh though. This is the kicker. We experience it so much that we begin to expect it as normal. We get it so often that we think mercy is what we deserve. Then when a calamity happens in our life, we want to shake our fist at Yahweh as though He did something wrong. And we forget about all the mercies of Yahweh that we've lived day after day and hour after hour and year after year. We forget. Because we think that we deserve mercy because we get it so much. Mercy is always undeserved though. It's no different than the small things that take place in our life. We can get in our car and we can drive for six months free from any car problems. One year, two years, three years, four years, five years. Never have a car problem. Just get that oil changed and maybe get things, uh, tires rotated and make sure we got enough air in the tires and never have a problem. Five years free of any car problems. And all of a sudden, one day, we're on I-20 and we get a flat tire and we think, why does it have to be me? Why did I have to get that flat tire? I need to be somewhere today, Yahweh. And we forget five years free from any problem. We think a little problem happens and it's the end of the world. Why did it have to be me? Why did this happen to happen to me? Listen, Yahweh is rich in love and slow to anger. Exodus 34 tells us. Even in these plagues, He gave people ten plagues until He finally unleashed His greatest wrath. None of the plagues were as bad as the killing of the firstborn. He waited till the end to unleash His severe wrath. He could have wiped out all of Egypt with the breath of His nostrils. He could have breathed a strong wind onto Egypt and wiped every house, person, well, everything from the ground up and then just built this beautiful city. Yahweh could have done all of that. But He didn't because He's rich in love and He's slow to anger. We should be amazed that the Almighty Creator of the heavens and the earth was so merciful on Egypt, even through the plagues. He is Yahweh. He is Yahweh. Whatever He decides is just. Whenever He decides to take away, it's just. Whenever He decides to give mercy, it's mercy. Mercy is abnormal. Justice is normal. Yet we get so much more mercy than justice. We receive so much more forgiveness 
than wrath. Was Yahweh just in killing all those firstborns? Of course He was. He's Yahweh. An old priest one time named Eli, who wasn't a good guy, when judgment came to him, when he was told what Yahweh was about to do, you know what Eli said? He was, he was wrong. He was sinful. Didn't train his children right. But when judgment came upon him, Eli was smart. He said, well, he's Yahweh. He'll do what he's going to do. <laughs> because Eli knew he couldn't stop the judgment of Yahweh. And that's exactly what came upon Eli and his house. Of course Yahweh was just. He's Yahweh. We're sinful creatures. We're the creatures. He is the Creator. We are the subjects. He is the King. We are limited. He is sovereign. He is Yahweh. He would be just in wiping all of us out right now. If all of us right now breathed our last breath and fell to the floor, Yahweh would still be just. Yet He chooses in His mercy not to wipe us out. Hallelujah. He chooses in His mercy to let me preach at least one more sermon in His mercy today. He's merciful. He bears with us a little in our folly. He chooses to overlook our offenses and forgive us when we ask Him to. He chooses to save us from our sin and accept Matthew's frail attempts at giving Him service and praise and worship. He accepts that. Brothers and sisters, never ever marvel over destruction or calamity. Yet, marvel every day over the mercy of Yahweh. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for this lesson today. I pray that it will be a blessing to all of Your people, from the oldest down to the youngest, as we study in preparation for Your Passover, about the Passover. As we move into Exodus 12 next week, I pray You'd give me the mind of Yahweh and visit me as I study this week and prepare for the sermon. And I pray that You bless all the people with an ear to hear what the Scriptures say. Help us, Yahweh, to do better. Help us to obey You more. Help us to have a desire to keep Your commandments. And thank You so much for Your mercy. Thank You for my family. Thank You for my friends. Thank You for my life. Thank You for having mercy on me, both in the natural and in the spiritual. I love You, Yahweh. You are the great King over all the earth. I recognize that today. Hallelujah. Amen.